Future Proof Extra with Jonathan McRae. Proudly supported by Science Foundation Ireland on News Talk. Now, when Leo Szilard conceived of the idea of a nuclear chain reaction back in 1933, he immediately tried to suppress his own discovery, culminating in 1945 with the Szilard petition, which advocated for a demonstration of the atomic bomb rather than using it in war. Szilard knew only too well the awesome destructive power of what he had discovered. And knowing what we do about what happened next, then what should we make of the field of genetic engineering, a field of research that has instigated a self-imposed moratorium on four separate occasions in the last 50 years? Professor Matthew Cobb from the University of Manchester is author of The Genetic Age, Our Perilous Quest to Edit Life. He joins me now. Welcome to the programme, uh, Matthew. I mean, one of the things that we have to say is, from a from a medical and scientific point of view, our understanding of genetics and how to manipulate them have led to really important breakthroughs when it comes to health. Absolutely. Well, not only health, but science. I mean, I, I'm I'm not a I'm not a physician. I'm a, a scientist, and genetic engineering has been absolutely fundamental for changing and the way that we understand life and that has equally led to decisive medical breakthroughs any listeners who uh, use insulin will use insulin that has been created in what's called a recombinant microorganism so that's an organism that has had a an insulin gene inserted into it and then it just churns it out and that has absolutely transformed how Many uh, medicines are produced. I mean, just today, an article has come out with an absolutely extraordinary example of this kind of breakthrough. They they manipulated yeast and introduced 34 genes from plants in order to make the yeast produce something or a precursor of a, an anti-cancer drug called vinblastine. And that, when it's put into uh, industrial production, will absolutely transform our uh, production of this this particular vital drug. So there has been amazing breakthroughs. That is absolutely clear. That said, this book is about the things that we are probably tinkering with that perhaps we shouldn't without fully understanding the consequences. Tell me about the premise of the book. Well, I'm particularly worried about three areas of genetic engineering that are currently been employed. Uh, and those areas are manipulating the human genome, so the genes that you pass on to the next generation, something uh, called gain-of-function research, which is manipulation of dangerous pathogens, and finally, a new technique called gene drives, which could eradicate malaria in certain areas of the world, but might also lead to ecological catastrophe. But I know that my fears about these three areas are also similar to the doubts that were raised either at the beginning of genetic engineering in 1971 and then again in 1974, or later on uh, with, say, GM plants. 20 years ago, there was a huge hoo-ha about GM plants that's kind of died down now for the fairly obvious reason that people can eat them and animals can eat them and we're all okay. So I'm wary of my fears and I wanted to explore both the history to see how this science had changed our culture and how the, the society had responded to it, but also to raise what I think is important, three alarm bells relating to these new approaches. So let's talk about the first then, which is the um, editing of human embryos. 
As far as I'm aware, there is only one high-profile case of this happening in the world, and it was absolutely, uh, it was shocking and huge news in the scientific world. And the researcher who had edited the embryos of uh, two uh, girls in utero was suspended. There was an enormous amount of outcry from the scientific community. But that's what we're aware of. What makes you think that the editing of human embryos is something that we practically need to worry about. Because the idea, of course, of, of editing someone's genome to, to make them taller, smarter, faster, whiter, whatever it is that you want to do, the idea of that is one thing. But practically, is anybody actually tinkering with this stuff for real? Well, as far as we know, nobody is uh, nobody is carrying out such experiments. And as you say, the, the Chinese researcher, He Ki, who did this in 2018, uh, he was uh, sentenced to jail and is banned from ever working on the topic again. It, it, it's more that this particular procedure was carried out in, uh, as you say, in ways that actually were catastrophic. So the mutations he wanted to introduce, he was kind of doing a, a proof of principle. Um, but in fact, it turned out that the, the principle didn't apply and the, the poor girls have been, in fact, there are three, there's been another baby born since, um, have mutations that have never been seen before. Furthermore, we don't know what the rest of their genome is like. So this technique, which is called CRISPR, is very, very precise, supposedly, but it's increasingly becoming evident that in particular in mammals, depending on the particular situation of the cell, when you introduce these genetic constructs into it, things can go rather wrong. Uh, and this is an area that uh, there's, there's been a big shift since uh, Herjonki's experiment. Prior to that, people were saying, yes, we should be on a, a prudent path to editing uh, the human genome. Now people realize, one, they need to take safety into consideration. And much more importantly, they're actually asking the question, well, why would you do this? Yeah. What, the, what are the benefits? And I suppose before you do that again, those benefits need to be really, really clearly outlined. There are definitely um, genetically inherited diseases that if you could eradicate them safely, um, would be fantastic. In Ireland, we have a huge rate of cystic fibrosis. If you could edit the gene, that pass that down to children in a safe way with no other side effects, I'm sure those people who uh, have one of the CF genes would be be happy to do that. Um, but but um, you see, the, here's the issue. That is not a solution. There is a solution already existing to cystic fibrosis as a genetic disease. Right. And it's called pre-implantation selection. Yeah. So, you, so you pick one, you, pick one you that hasn't got the gene. You produce IVF and, you, and, and you're going to have to do that anyway. That You have to go through the horror of IVF uh, if you're going to gene edit, but you simply select the character, the, the embryos that mm. aren't affected. And the number of individuals that's been calculated that we know of who would actually benefit that is where both individuals in a couple are uh, affected uh, or where one of them is with a dominant character and both their genes have got that dominant character. So in all respects, any embryo would be affected. There's perhaps a few hundred of those individuals all around the world. Wow. And you're not actually talking about curing anybody. You're talking about allowing those individuals to have a biological uh, healthy child. Yeah. And whilst I understand those desires, um, I don't think that's a reason to open this potential Pandora's box of 
uh, genome editing, given how uncertain we are about its consequences. And there has been recent reports about um, using CRISPR uh, uh, potentially causing cancers. I mean, it's only 10 years old. It's not a it's not an old technique. It's brand new and it's changing all the time. So I think, you know, being being very careful about what we do when it comes to a germline is, is a very good idea. Yeah, so what you, about- ha- you have to remember that germline edi- editing is forever. Mm. It's not just the individual you're going to edit. It's also any offspring they may have. The genes are passed down. So we've got to be more than doubly careful. What about function gain? What is that? And why is that something you're concerned about? Okay. So uh, gain of function research means to increase the a particular aspect of a uh, pathogen. And this research became very fashionable uh, in the early years of the century after two completely disconnected things. On the one hand, there were the first SARS outbreaks, so the scientific community became aware that we were going to have a spillover uh, pandemic from natural uh, populations. And secondly, in particular in the US, there was increasing concerns about the potential for bioterrorism, for uh, rogue states or terrorist groups to get hold of this increasingly simple technology and uh, create uh, potential new bioweapons. So what the scientists are doing, and the scientists who are doing this work are completely uh, well-intentioned. There is no, you know, they're not Dr. Strange loves trying to kill everybody. What they worry about is in the future, there will be a pandemic, say bird flu is going to jump into the human population. And when it does so, it will change just like COVID has changed and lead to, say, increasing transmissibility. Yeah. So bird flu is transmissible to humans, but you've actually got to contact them. That's why with at the moment, we've got a bird flu pandemic going around the world. That's why if you found a, find a dead bird, do not touch it. Now, what the scientists have been doing are things like making H5N1, that's bird flu virus, transmissible through the air. That's right. This guy, um, uh, Ron, Ron Fouchier. Ron Fouchier. Yeah. Can you tell, um, tell, him, tell, tell the, the audience that story? Well, in 2011, he went to a conference in Cyprus and said... Uh, Folks, I've done something really, really stupid. I have, and again, this is his terms, mutated the hell out of the bird flu virus and made it so it could be transmissible through the air. And bird flu is about a thousand times more dangerous than COVID. So you can imagine if this got out, wow. it would be absolutely terrifying. So the researchers, Fouché and other, all the other researchers on this in this area, they said, oh my God, this is this is crazy, we must stop. So they had a moratorium, which ended up lasting about eight months whilst they uh, worked out new safety protocols, which they claimed would mean that there would be no risk of a lab leak and that if this stuff did get out, we wouldn't have a terrible uh, pandemic. On I, I mean, this stuff does seem to be fairly, you know, fairly obvious stuff. That, <laughs> you know, having knowing what we know about viruses, do not create a highly transmissible mutated my- virus in the lab just in case, because it, it will be an up, awful yeah. thing if it happened naturally. But for us to introduce it on purpose when we are nowhere near ready because we haven't researched it properly, that is, that's a really bad idea. Well, yeah, I think Fouché kind of recognised that, but his approach... Took him him a little bit too long, in my opinion. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I I would tend to agree. But the approach that they are arguing is necessary is we know these mutations are going to arise, just like we've seen mutations in COVID. And by seeing what is possible, we can then prepare ourselves. Now, 
the criticism of that is, okay, how did this gain of function research help with COVID? How did it help us prepare or respond? Not at all, in not in the slightest. Hmm. So um, a series of lab leaks in the US led to the US, uh, which is the main funder of this research, stopping funding for a few years. But now there are at least two projects that have uh, begun again. And I, I think this needs to be regulated much more strictly. And above all, the public needs to know what researchers are doing and why. Very briefly, Matthew, the, the third thing that you mentioned in the book is, is gene drives. Can you explain what gene drives are, please? Okay, so if you mutate, say, a mosquito uh, so that it uh, is immune to malaria, then and you release lots and lots of those mosquitoes, the gene that you've mutated is very quickly going to dissipate and disappear from the population. What, at the beginning of the century, scientists realized is that they could make genes that will actually copy themselves much more rapidly. So you get an exponential growth of that gene in the population. Already so scary. <laughs> Yeah, well, it's it, we're going back to Leon, Z Leon Zillard. It is like uh, an, a genetic bomb. You know, you get this massive growth, and it is uncontrollable, like a nuclear bomb. So, the the problem is that this again is incredibly well intentioned. Remember, half a million people every year die of malaria alone. Never mind the other mosquito transmitted diseases. So, the price of not using this technology to diminish the mosquito populations is half a million people. So again, we've got very well-intentioned scientists who are also mm. scared out of their wits and are very, very concerned that this technique should only be released if there is absolute certainty that it is not going to create uh, ecological havoc. And ideally, if you've got a way of guaranteeing that it will either eventually dissipate after a, a few generations or in the most the best case, you could actually withdraw it. You could call it back. Control Z has said one of the uh, described it as one of the uh, one of the clever researchers. I'm not convinced by that. But how the, on earth the, do you call back uh, <laughs> a gene that you've let run rampant in a wild population of mosquitoes? Well, what people say is, well, you'd re-release the original version, and that would then kind of. Swap. I mean, I think that's crazy. Mm, yeah. Uh, yeah, exactly. It sounds so like you a book you don't my need kids to... have called um, "The Cat with a Hat Comes Back," in which um, <laughs> the cat with a hat has a stain, and he keeps on making the stain worse by trying to fix it. So, there you go. So, I think so, that's about right. So, what are you calling for, Matthew? What do you want the world to do, or the scientists of the world to do? Well, I, I think firstly, there needs to be for the gain of function. Uh, research. This really should come under something called the Biological Weapons Convention. This was set up in 1972 and, and come into practice in 1975. Unlike the International Atomic Energy Agency, which we're hearing about now going into uh, Ukraine, this has no inspectors. It has no teeth. It cannot uh, make sanctions if anybody breaches it. And yeah. indeed, the, U the USA has stopped there being teeth to the treaty. So we need to have a, a proper biological research, uh, biological weapons uh, inspectorate that can go into laboratories and decide and issue sanctions if countries uh, breach those terms. 
in terms of the gene drives, then we need to have guarantees. Again, we need some kind of authority, a bit like the International Civil Aviation Organization, mm. which controls uh, the application of uh, civil aviation. And that decides what is safe. And we need a similar kind of international structure for the gene drives, because mm. potentially this could be fantastic. It, can, it could, in particular areas, remove mosquitoes without doing, perhaps, too much damage uh, to the ecosystem. It, the, the key issue is who decides. Yeah, You can and, say the local community should have a, a, a right to veto, but mosquitoes travel. So they might effectively be deciding they want this to get rid of the mosquitoes that are killing their children. Mm. And that would affect the whole region, continent, world. So you're looking for a complete geopolitical overhaul of how we monitor um, bioweapons <laughs> and, and genetics in the country. That's all. Yeah, that's right. I think that's absolutely necessary. On the other hand, precisely because it involves geopolitics, I'm not convinced this is going to happen. But the only way it can happen is if the public and politicians are aware of these issues and take action, because it's too important to leave to the scientists. Well, the book is called The Genetic Age, Our Perilous Quest to Edit Life. The author is Matthew Cobb. Matthew, thanks for your time. Thanks a lot, Jonathan. It's been great. Future Proof Extra with Jonathan McRae. Proudly supported by Science Foundation Ireland on News Talk. Mm-hmm.